Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Improving Outcomes in Patients with Ovarian Cancer, Multidisciplinary Patient-Centered Care, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, I'm Dr. Flora Backus from the James Cancer Hospital at The Ohio State University and I'd like to welcome you to our patient-clinician connection on advanced ovarian cancer. As healthcare models evolve to become more patient-centered, so should the care to provide it to patients with advanced ovarian cancer, especially in relation to managing adverse events from PARP inhibitors. Clinicians are responsible for the health literacy of their patients because clinicians set the tone, content, and mode of information delivered to patients during counseling sessions and appointments. Today, I'll be illustrating my approach to patient-centered care through clinical vignettes with a patient who has stage 3 ovarian cancer. Let's get started. Rebecca is in my office to discuss initial treatment options for her recently diagnosed ovarian cancer. She is 58 years old and has stage 3C high-grade serous ovarian cancer. She underwent a primary debulking surgery followed by six cycles of carboplatin and paclitaxel. Her end-of-treatment imaging showed a complete response to chemotherapy. Her tissue was sent for tumor testing and showed a homologous recombination deficiency, or HRD. Her ECOG performance status is zero. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? Overall, I'm feeling pretty good. Anxious awaiting my results. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, and even more so to give you good news today, because the CAT scans from your chest, your abdomen, and pelvis showed that there was no signs of cancer. That's good news! Oh, congratulations. Should I be worried about the cancer returning? Well, this is the hard thing about ovarian cancer. There's always a high risk that the cancer does return, and that risk is about 80 to 90%. But the good news is that we have something called maintenance therapy that we can use to decrease the risk of the cancer returning and hopefully even to keep the cancer away for good. What are my options? Well, your option for maintenance therapy depends on two things. We look at your tumor and whether the tumor or in your genes you have something called BRCA mutation. The other thing that we look at if there's a certain change called homologous recombination deficiency or HRD. Well, we test your tumor and based on those biomarker testing, we can see that your tumor is HRD positive. So that means that there's an option out there for you called PARP inhibitors. And there are two drugs currently FDA approved that are called Neraparib and Olaparib that are pills that you would use on a daily basis as maintenance treatment. There's one more option out there called Bevacizumab. And that is an infusion that works on blood vessels to the tumors. And often if we use that in combination with your chemotherapy, we can continue that afterwards as a maintenance therapy. We didn't use that in your case. So for you, we would consider PARP inhibitors like Neraparib and Olaparib. And I'd be happy to tell you more about that. In the first line maintenance setting for a patient who did not use Bevacizumab and is BRCA or HRD positive, there are two approved PARP inhibitors, Neraparib and Olaparib. From the PRIMA data, we know that those patients who were HRD positive and took Neraparib versus placebo the progression-free survival was almost 22 months versus 10 months with placebo. From the PALA-1 data, those patients who were HRD positive and were on Olaparib with Bevacizumab, their median progression-free survival was 28 months 
versus almost 17 months with bevacizumab alone. Overall, Nirapirib alone and Olaparib alone or with bevacizumab are useful options for the first-line maintenance treatment of adults with HRD-positive advanced ovarian cancer who are in complete or partial response to first-line platinum-based chemotherapy. Let's return to our discussion with Rebecca to go over the efficacy and the safety of these options. Can you tell me more about these two options? Are they safe? And what can I expect about taking these medications? So for starters, both olaparib and oraparib have been shown to be very effective for reducing the risk of the cancer coming back. So that's good. But we do need to monitor it closely because there are some side effects that we can see with these PARP inhibitors, and we see those across all of them. Most commonly, we see fatigue, nausea, and vomiting. But the good thing is that we have medications that we can use to help that you can take before you take the pills. And most of these side effects also improve or even go away after the first three months of treatment. Are there any other side effects that I should be worried about? Yes, there are some other side effects that we have to watch for. There can be some hematologic side effects. So those are the side effects that affect your blood counts, like your red blood cells, your white blood cells, and your platelets. And so to minimize those risks, we will monitor your blood counts really closely. PARP inhibitors have a distinct adverse event profile, not only as a drug class, but also as individual agents. Common non-hematologic adverse events of PARP inhibitors include fatigue or asthenia, nausea, and vomiting. Hematologic AEs are also a drug class effect and occur at higher severity and remain the main cause of treatment discontinuation. If we look at the side effects listed from the PRIMA trial where niraparib was used, we see that most of the hematologic side effects as well as nausea, constipation, fatigue are all very common. And that means greater than 30% and hematologic side effects occur even in greater than 45 to 65%. So anemia is common, but fortunately also, most of the time, these are not severe events. We see that grade 3 anemia and thrombocytopenia still can be seen in 30 to 45%, but has been much improved with the introduction of the weights and plates rules. In the Apollo 1 trial, where olaparib and bevacizumab was used, Again, the most common side effects with greater than 50% of occurrence were anemia, nausea, fatigue. We also saw some thrombocytopenia, but fortunately, again, grade 3 overall side effects were much lower and for most of the side effects, less than 10%. When thinking about selecting treatment, it's important to discuss potential toxicities as these are oftentimes deciding factors based on patient preference. And in that case, we're thinking about thrombocytopenia, for example, during the first month, hypertension and insomnia that can be seen with niraparib, upper respiratory infection symptoms, and also a rise in creatinine that can be seen with olaparib. Of course, we always need to discuss with the patient that there is a risk of AML and MDS for all PARP inhibitors. Fortunately, that risk is low when we use it in the primary setting. The risk is approximately no greater than 1% to 2%. Once a patient understands the potential risks of each drug, it's important they know other differences that may sway their treatment selection. Let's return to Rebecca as I discuss the differences between niraparib and olaparib, including dosing and patient instructions. Are there any differences between the two treatment options that I should know about before making my decision? There's a couple of differences. 
overall, the safety and efficacy between both norepirib and olaparib are fairly similar. One of the differences is that norepirib is taken once a day, so it's either a 200 milligram or a 300 milligram tablet that you take once a day, whereas the olaparib is a tablet of 150 milligrams that you take two pills twice a day, so about 600 milligrams daily. Twice daily? Seems like a lot, doctor. I already have enough medications to keep me on track on a daily basis. But how long will I be in this maintenance phase? So for norepirib, we would continue the maintenance pills for three years. And for olaparib, that would be two years. Of course, if your cancer comes back before that, or if you're not tolerating the treatment well, then we would stop earlier. When discussing dosing and adverse reactions with your patients, you should understand the recommendations for dose reductions if these events occur. Let's go over some dose modifications for norepirib. So the starting dose of norepirib is 300 milligrams once daily. The first dose reduction is 200 milligram and the second dose reduction would be 100 milligrams once daily. So based on weights and plates, if the patient's weight is less than 77 kilograms or the starting platelets are less than 150,000, In that case, you start the patient on 200 milligrams once daily rather than 300 milligrams once daily. If hematologic side effects still occur, such as thrombocytopenia, neutropenia, or significant anemia, in that case, you hold the drug, wait for recovery, and then resume at either the same or a once-reduced dose. If there's non-hematologic toxicity, such as fatigue or nausea, that doesn't resolve with conservative medicines or antiemetics or other supportive medicines, then again, hold the drug, wait for recovery, and resume at a reduced dose. We see similar adjustments for olaparib. Olaparib is dosed at 300 milligrams twice daily. The first dose reduction is 250 milligrams twice a day, and the second dose reduction is 200 milligrams twice a day. Again, for hematologic and non-hematologic side effects, you would hold the dose, and then once it is recovered, you resume at a one dose level lower. There are a couple differences between the two drugs. If the patient has renal impairment with a creatinine clearance, for example, between 30 to 50, No dose reduction is needed for norepirib, but with olaparib, we would need to reduce the dose to 200 milligrams daily. For severe renal impairment with a creatinine of less than 30, there's no data that has been evaluated for olaparib. We also want to look at hepatic impairment. For mild hepatic impairments, neither drugs need dose reduction. However, for moderate hepatic impairment, you want to reduce the starting dose of norepirib to 200 milligrams daily, but for olaparib, there's no dose reduction needed. And in severe hepatic impairment, neither drug has any data established. Lastly, if the patient is on other medication, which is very important to review as you choose your drugs and you choose your dosing, it's important to look at CYP3A inhibitors. If the patient is on a strong or moderate CYP3A inhibitor, you want to avoid the use of olaparib and consider alternatives. If this cannot be avoided, then dose reduce olaparib to 150 milligrams twice a day if the patient is on a moderate CYP3A inhibitor. And if they're on a strong CYP3A inhibitor, 
we want to dose reduce further to 100 milligrams twice a day. This dose adjustment is not needed for norepirib though. Now let's go back to our patient Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, we also consider a couple of the other things when we're trying to choose between these two options. Your blood pressure and heart rate have been good, but sometimes those can be raised by norepirib. That would be help in my decision also or in our decision. And then blood counts, such as your platelets, are a little bit more likely to decrease with an So, But since that has not been a concern for you. Lastly, though, um, olaparib is approved for patients with a BRCA mutation. And your tumor or your genes did not have that BRCA mutation, but your tumor was HRD positive, which means that norepirib would be the best option for you. What do you think about this? How do you feel about all the information I've given you so far? That option seems good because I really didn't want it to be committed to another medication twice daily. I like that one. I'd rather do that once a day. Good. So let's go with norepirib then. Based on your weight and your starting platelets, we would start you on the 200 milligram tablets rather than the 300 milligram tablets. And that's to reduce the risk that your platelets are going to go really low. So you can take it any time of the day. You can take it at night or in the morning with or without food, but you want to take it mostly at the same time of the day. And so sometimes people, if they have issues with nausea during the day, they prefer to take it at night. But sometimes people see some insomnia also or difficulty sleeping. So if that's the case, then maybe you want to try and take it in the morning. But we'll just kind of have to see how you feel as you start taking this medication and make sure that we get you on a good schedule. That's good to know. So where do we go from here? So during the first month, we have to check your blood counts, specifically your red blood cells, your white blood cells, your platelets every week for the first four weeks. And as long as that's good, then we'll spread out those blood draws and the visits to once a month for the first year. We'll also be monitoring your blood pressure. So you'll have to take your blood pressure at home and check your heart rate at home because the norepirib can also raise your blood pressure and your heart rate. So we need to monitor that closely too. Thank you, Dr. Backus, for discussing both these options with me. I'm ready to get started with a new phase of treatment. My pleasure. You're welcome. I think the model presented in these vignettes can be adapted to address many scenarios we face daily in our medical practices. I hope you'll find it useful when discussing treatment and adverse event profiles for PARP inhibitors in a first-line maintenance setting post-platinum-based chemotherapy with your patients. When prescribing PARP inhibitors for these patients in order to maximize efficacy, it's important to apply shared decision-making and consider patient preference potential advantages, and challenges to treatment adherence. Thank you for joining me for our patient-clinician connection vignettes on improving outcomes in patients with ovarian cancer. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com Prova. Thank you for listening.